Morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? They good? Good. Uh, Sunday mornings at, uh, over at the teen house, we've been going uh, book by book through the Bible. I've called it the Survey of the Bible. Um, and this week we're in Joshua. So if you guys want to open up to Joshua 2, I'm going to be giving a, a synopsis of what's going on there. And today um, we talked about the Battle of Jericho and uh, what God's power can do to crumble all kinds of walls. Joshua was Moses' assistant and was called by God to lead Israel into the promised land after Moses died. And Joshua sends spies into the land of Jericho, and a prostitute named Rahab takes them in and hides them from Jericho's king, who sends them in to go find the Israelites. And Rahab says, I don't know these men. They were here, but I don't know who they were or where they went. So... She tells the spies that she has heard about the God of Israel. And she knows that he delivered them from Egypt, from slavery, and part of the Red Sea. So she had heard about the power of God. And then it says in verse 11 of chapter 2, she shows her faith by saying, The Lord your God is God of the heavens above and the earth below. I mean, that's some strong faith. She had never experienced God and his people, but she had heard and she knew. And it was mighty power, and she knows that Jericho is going to fall to Israel. And she knows that with God's help, anything could be possible for the Israelites. So she asked her family to be spared because of the grace and mercy that she showed to the spies. And so the spies agree and make an oath with her and tell her to hang a scarlet cord in her window let Israel know to spare her household. So, she does. And then, this scarlet cord has a very big importance because it let Israel know, as well, not to take down that house. But it is important to show that God's redemption and salvation was open to all those who have faith in Him. You know, deliverance is defined as an act of being rescued or set free. You know, and then later on in Joshua chapter 6, the highly fortified walls of Jericho crumble under God's power. And they give intricate instructions, and they had faith in those instructions, and they had a little help from maybe the last person that they would expect, and they acted on those instructions. I want to tell you a quick story about how you can get help from somebody that you wouldn't expect. You know, on Tuesday mornings, we have a men's breakfast group. We meet at Roxanne's Inn of Parkville. And I was lucky enough a few times to take my nephew Gunner um, along with me. And somehow, him and Charlie are like best friends. Every Sunday, the Gunner's here. He runs and makes sure to see Charlie. That is help from somebody that you would not expect. And what about the walls that we put up to keep God or his people out like Jericho did? Maybe their regret, resentment, forgiveness. Or we put up walls and try to keep his grace from reaching us because we feel we've done something so terrible that we think, I'm not, I'm not that bad, am I? Because we justify our sin by comparing it to others. Like, well, at least I'm not a murderer. You know, I found that through archaeological evidence, Jericho most likely had two walls to protect it. They had an outer wall, and they had the lower income or ghetto, and then they had an inner wall. But God's power took them both down. 
Now, we don't have a lot of information on Rahab after the Battle of Jericho, but it does say that she was saved, and her and her family, and she lived outside the camp of Israel, but with Israel. And, of course, she's mentioned in the New Testament, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, this story hit me different when I was studying for the teens than it usually has. Maybe think of the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. You guys want to follow me there? It starts off with, in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus. So I had to stop there because I want to know why it says, Then Peter came to Jesus. So we have to back up just a little bit to get some context. So it says, just before this, in Matthew 18, before verse 21, it says he was teaching his disciples what to do if our brethren sinned against us. So he's given instructions on to go talk to that person and then work it out. And then it says instructions and steps what to do if they don't come to an agreement. So they were just talking about forgiveness right before this. So that's why Peter came to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And at that time, Jewish rabbis were teaching everyone that it's the first three times you forgive them, but on the fourth time, you don't. So Peter, asking seven times, was probably like, man, he's going to love me because I'm like being overly gracious. Like seven times? And then Jesus answers, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. So Jesus' followers aren't supposed to count how many times we forgive. We're just supposed to keep doing it. I don't know if that's telling me to get off stage or what. What that is. But in verse 23 and 24 of uh, chapter 18... Jesus tells this parable, and he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Okay, so talents was a, a form of money, currency. You take the denarii, which is what Romans had, and you multiply that. And through all the research I found of what 10,000 talents would be, I come up with millions of dollars. So, an, an astronomical figure for that time, and this time too. It's like Powerball jackpot money. It's ridiculous. So, when, they tell, when Jesus starts selling this 10,000 talents, I'm sure the disciples were kind of chuckling, because why would a king loan that kind of money out, and how would someone be able to pay that back? Because that is just an astronomical figure. But, in verse 25 and 27, it says, Since he was not able to pay... The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, that was common back then to repay some of the debt. Their family would be sold into slavery. But then the servant fell on his knees before him and said, Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But just like that, just wipes it out, cancels it. He doesn't lower the monthly payments or refinance to get a lower interest rate. He just wipes it out completely. It didn't matter the amount or size of the debt. The king's grace was bigger. Then the parable kind of takes a turn for the worse after this. Servants see somebody that owes him 100 denarii, which is the Roman soldiers got one denarii per day for a work wage, so that's about 100 days' wages. So he sees somebody that owes him 100 days wages compared to what he had just been forgiven of for millions of dollars. And the Bible says in verse 28, 
that he saw this man and he grabbed and choked him. Pay back what you owe me. And then this man falls on his knees and says, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. That sounds very, very familiar. But grace was not shown to the man who owed a hundred denarii. He was thrown in jail to pay his debt. But other servants witnessed this. And you could use the word community. So his community sees this man who had received a crazy amount of grace and mercy, not showing his fellow brothers, not showing it. He wasn't showing it to anybody. The NIV version says that they were greatly distressed. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Now, sometimes the church is known for its outrage toward people outside of our community who need grace rather than outrage for the people inside our community who refuse to give it. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And I've heard many stories from people who have entered churches who have needed, who have missed the grace of God, who have needed it, and a bitter root began to grow. When they walked in seeking truth, love, acceptance, mercy, forgiveness, instead of open arms, they were greeted with a pointing finger. If there's anybody out there today that has experience of that, I am sorry. I'm Jeff Adair, I'm the youth minister here, and I am broken too. I wouldn't be here, standing up here in front of you, if somebody, a lot of people here actually, didn't show me the extravagant amount of grace that they have received. So the master summons the man whose debt had been forgiven and asks him in 30, verses 32 and 33. Then the master called a servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Now the master's angry. Throws him in jail to be tortured until he can pay off that crazy amount of debt. And then Jesus tells us that's how God's going to treat us if we don't forgive our brothers and sisters from our hearts. Now, I don't know about you guys, but punishment to pay off my debt of sin to God? Eternal life or torture for eternity? Well, it's not a hard one for me to choose. That scarlet cord that Rahab hung in her window was to show that she had been saved by the grace of God. There was destruction coming, and deliverance was available if it was accepted. Jesus became our scarlet cord. He was hung on a cross because destruction was coming, sin, separation from God. And that deliverance or salvation was available to all who accepted from then till today. God and his mercy saved us from death by our sin by replacing Jesus for us. That is mercy. It had been offered to the whole world. And just a couple weeks ago, Brother William Cross gave his life to Christ through baptism, and I was lucky enough to be there. And right before he went into the water, he gave his testimony. and He learned how grace was shown to him. Now he understands that he is supposed to show it to other people. William, I'm glad you're here, brother. And while I was preparing this lesson... I came across the United States Supreme Court case from 1833 of the U.S. v. Wilson, or U.S. v. Wilson. This man, Wilson, robbed a mail carrier and put the mail carrier's life in danger 
So the punishment was death. But President Andrew Jackson pardoned him for those crimes, but Wilson refused the pardon. So President Jackson, I'm sure in his confusion, sends it to the Supreme Court to figure out what to do. And after reading through the ruling and the summarization of it, um, I found a lot of things, a uh, new respect for people in the legal profession. That stuff made my brain hurt. I don't know how you guys can do that every day. I love each and every one of you for doing that. So I was talking to Brother Will Baker about how I was struggling with it and everything. So he offered to help, and thank goodness he did, because he found a bunch of resources that put it into what I would call Jeff language, so I can understand it. So I had built up a couple of bricks of pride to say I can get this stuff done on my own. Will and his grace came crashing through, knocked those walls down. So thank you, Will. So in the summary, there was some verbiage that really, really stood out to me. It was in this very interesting case of a man accepting death, refusing a pardon. In the States, I put it up on the screen so you guys can read it with me. It's a pardon is an act of grace, proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws, which exempts the individual on whom it is bestowed. From the punishment, the law inflicts for a crime he has committed. So this is just saying this is what a pardon is. A pardon is an act of grace. When you commit a crime and you are pardoned, that is what happens. You are exempt from the, from the crime that you've committed. And it goes on to say, a pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in the court to force it on him. So what they're saying here is, a pardon is a deed which you have to deliver it, and the person has to accept it, or else it's just a piece of paper. Rahab knew destruction was coming. She had faith in God that he would deliver her from that destruction. She had so much faith that James talks about her in his epistle. James 2.25, you guys want to look that one up. Maybe you guys are sitting there thinking, okay, Jeff, where do I fit in? to this story. God's story is so big and how do I fit into it? So if you're thinking that he might not have a place for you, guess look at Matthew 1.5 in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You'll see the name Rahab. Through his grace and mercy, he used someone he probably wouldn't think of to help his story of redemption and transformation of hearts spread. If there's anybody here that has missed the grace of God, and you have a wall built up to keep this grace from reaching you. And maybe it's forgiveness of yourself or someone else. Or maybe it's a little pride from thinking you can handle something that you know you can't. You keep hiding from it, not accepting the pardon. It's going to catch you. Whether it be a small child smiling at you, eating breakfast. Or a friend reaching out to you because you just needed someone who loved him to talk to don't catch you. Stop trying to outrun God because you think he's chasing you to collect what you owe. When he's really chasing you to give you what you can never afford. Until we recognize our need for grace, we won't care about receiving it. An eternal life spent with Jesus in a place where there's no pain, no tears, no shame, no guilt. That's what's offered. Um, Jesus was crucified and three days later we have eyewitness accounts in the Bible 
and discovered that the tomb was empty. That tomb is still empty today. When we recognize that we are sinners and we need God's grace in our lives and we experience the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through baptism, become a member of the community, a member of God's family, put sinful life behind us. My name is Jeff Adair and I am broken too. If there's anybody who needs prayers, God's grace come into their lives and tear down the walls that we have built up. Please come forward as we sing this next song. I invite you all to stand, and if there are any other needs, please bring them in front as we, as a community of grace receivers and grace givers, can pray for you. And there's a spot on your communication card. If you guys want to study or anything else you want to know about, I would love to study the Bible with you. You can mark that on your communication card. I want to see to it that none of you miss the grace of God this week. And please, those who have been graced with it, please don't forget to share it. This world needs it.